0: The book of Matthew, chapter 24. Thank you. As you're doing that, let me just say a word about current prophecy books. Right now, there is a tremendous interest in prophecy. Uh, Many of you have heard about the discussion of the blood moons. Uh, Jeff Berg, our missionary to the Jewish nation, I was here last week, and he gave me this book, Blood Moons Rising, and it's endorsed by Dr. Tim LaHaye, and so this is a good current book on prophecy. I have a couple others up here, and I'm going to put them right down here. So after the service, if you're interested in Bible prophecy, get some of these current books. Uh, that are written by good, reliable writers, uh, David, Jeremiah, and uh, I think they'll be a big help to you. We'd like to begin a series today on Bible prophecy, and today our topic is signs of the times. Is there such a thing as signs of the end times? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 24 together this morning. This is one of the most prophetic uh, New Testament chapters on prophecy. And it's given to us by our Lord. Verse number one, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. The temple was the, um, one of the great wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was a place that actually became a... Uh, a they worshipped the temple rather than God because it was so magnificent. And so they were so caught up in the whole idea of the temple... And Jesus said to them, do not, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Uh, What a bombastic statement to say. These people are wanting to give Jesus a tour through the temple. And Jesus said, listen, this temple is coming down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. You know, people have always wanted to know about the future, haven't they? We just like to have a door, a window we could open and look out and see, hey, what does the future hold for us? These people here were the same. They're the same as we are. Uh, When is the end of the world coming? When, When is all this coming to pass? Jesus goes on in verse number four and answers and says to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ or Messiah, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. For those of you who like to underline things and write things in the margin of your Bible, write this, these words by the word sorrow there, birth pains. Uh, I, I have a Bible program, of course, and some of you do, and uh, there are many, many translations of the Bible. Many of them take this word right here, and instead of sorrows, they have birth pains, because that's what that word actually means. Uh, Jesus said, listen, there's coming a time in the world that uh, is going to be so intense, uh, like birth pains, uh, so increasing in pain. Verse number nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now, what I want you to do this morning is kind of identify where you think we are in history day is coming when they're going to deliver you up and they're going to kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because the lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In the last days, it's going to be a loveless society, and the reason why is because it's so lawless. People's Soft hearts will become cold and indifferent and cynical and hating. But look at verse 13. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It is believed that verse number 15 begins what we call the Great Tribulation when the abomination, the Antichrist, comes to the temple and declares that he's God. And Jesus said, listen, when that happens, the nation of Israel better get out of town quick. Flee to Judea. Flee to the mountains. Don't take anything with you. Well, you know, I don't think that There are not too many people not thinking that we're living in the last days. Everybody is on edge, aren't they? I heard about a passenger in a taxi cab lean forward to ask the driver a question. And while he was doing so, he tapped the driver on his shoulder and the driver screamed, lost control of the taxi, nearly hit a bus and drove over the curb before coming to a stop just inches before a shop window. For a moment, everything was silent in that cab until the shaking driver finally said, you know, I'm really sorry, but you scared the living daylights out of me. The startled passenger apologized and said he didn't realize that tapping on the shoulder would frighten him like that. The driver replied, no, it's not your fault. Today is my first day driving a cab. I've been driving a hearse for the past 25 years. (laughs) You know, everybody is on edge, they really are. You can't even tap somebody on the shoulder these days if they don't pull a gun on you. You know, people are on edge. And uh, things are happening faster than we can keep up with them. God's prophetic timepiece, I think you know, is the nation of Israel. What happens in Israel kind of is the heartbeat of what's going on in the world. Are these the end times? Uh, People all are asking that question. We're interested in Bible prophecy, and I think one of the reasons why, of course, is because the Bible is filled with prophecy. It's a book of prophecy. The nation of Israel today is surrounded by a sea of enemies. They can't wait for the annihilation of Israel. They are modern-day Adolf Hitler's desiring to exterminate Israel. Russia and Iran have risen to prominence as predicted in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Hundreds of past prophecies have been fulfilled accurately as predicted. We have every reason to believe that because the past prophecies have been fulfilled literally, that the future ones will be fulfilled literally too. Hal Lindsey wrote the best-selling book in 1970 entitled The Late Great Planet Earth, As good as he was with prophecy, he too was tempted to predict that Christ would come um, in a certain time period. He said this, the decade of the 1980s could be the last decade of history as we know it. Everybody's tempted to think, hey, when's Christ coming back again? We know Jesus used the term, the signs of the times, in Matthew 16.3. And there are several ways to look at the signs in the Bible. There are signs. First of all, there is skepticism. There are no signs. Everything's always been the same as it is today. In fact, uh, Peter predicted this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. In the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Uh, There are some skeptics today and they say, listen, nothing's happening. On the other hand, there are people who are sensationalist. Almost everything is a sign. Every earthquake, every tsunami, every crime, every war, every disease, every pestilence, and now Ebola. Armageddon to them is right around the corner. Uh, they thrive on that. There's a third way to view this whole thing, and that's called stage setting. And what that means is this: there are some major developments that take that are taking place in the world that are indeed signs. This has to come to pass before the end time occurs. One of the most recent points of discussion is blood, blood moons. Uh, this picture I pulled off the internet. It was supposedly taken from Fort Worth, Texas, just a few days ago. Uh, There's great interest in this. In fact, books are being written about blood moons. Some people are saying that blood moons are a heavenly sign of war involving Israel in the near future. Well, you know, that's a pretty safe sign because Israel's been at war since 1948, uninterruptedly. Uh, And there's more war ahead for Israel. There really is. War is inevitable for Israel. Israel, one of these days, will attack Iran. They have to for their survival. They must. So that's all ahead, and we believe right around the corner. Well, where do they get this whole idea about blood moons? Well, Joel chapter 2, verse 30 says this, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The same thing is said in Acts chapter two and Revelation chapter six. Well, God does use heavenly signs, doesn't he? The Bethlehem star uh, was a good sign from God. Well, the stars are under his control. The moon is under his control. Psalm 147 verse four says he counts the number of the stars and calls them all by name." A lot of times when you think about Bible prophecy, it's so easy to become confused. We think about the rapture of the church. We think about the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are two, we think, separate events. The rapture is first, the revelation of Christ is second. Actually, many years ago they taught us that the second coming of Christ is in two phases. First of all, Christ is coming for the church, and secondly, he is coming with the church. Well, these signs that we're talking about this morning are not related to the rapture. They are related to the revelation. In fact, Bible scholars tell us that there are no signs relative to the rapture of the church. Well, in the time before the first coming of Christ at Bethlehem, God set the stage, didn't he? He arranged the world for the coming of Christ. He prepared the world religiously, linguistically, politically, and there was a buildup. And so the crescendo came in Galatians 4.4, the Bible says, in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. In the fullness of time, or in other words, right on time. Now history is preparing for the events of the coming of Christ again. Well. Jesus himself, of course, used that term, signs of the times. Now, can we know that the coming of Christ is near? Let me give you this verse, and I hope you'll write these verses down and look them up further at home. Hebrews 10.24, you're familiar with that. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, that's referring to the coming of Christ. That verse seems to imply that we can see the day of the coming of Christ approaching. Well, uh, let me give you a timeline just so that you have a little reference here to what we're talking about this morning. First of all, let me say this, that this idea of which I speak over the next few weeks is called the pre-tribulation coming of Christ. There are other views. Some people believe that Bible prophecies and revelation and other places have been fulfilled historically before before now, and they are not future. This is what we call a futuristic idea of the coming of Christ. First of all, there's the rapture of the church. That's what we're waiting on, isn't it? We're waiting for the trumpet to sound, the dead in Christ to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with them forever the rapture and then the rapture takes the church off of the earth and then the tribulation period that seven-year unimaginable time on earth which is described mostly by all the material in the book of Revelation and then the second coming of Christ we call that the revelation we differentiate the rapture from the revelation and that's when Christ comes visibly uh, to Jerusalem to set up his millennial kingdom on earth, and that's, that's the fourth spot. And so these are the four basic ones we're going to be dealing with in the next few weeks. Matthew chapter 24, as has been said to be the blueprint for the end times. Jesus, when the disciples were all excited about the temple, he said, listen, not one stone shall be left upon another. That was quickly fulfilled about 40 years later. Look it up in history. Rome came against Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. Titus, the Roman general, led his troops. He wanted to really preserve the temple. He wanted to destroy the the city, but preserve the temple, because it was one of the wonders of the world. But uh, the fury of his soldiers wouldn't let him uh, preserve the temple. They set it on fire. It is said that the fall of Jerusalem, the last surviving Jews of the city fled to the temple because it was the strongest and most secure building in the city. The Roman soldiers surrounded it. They set it on fire, and it began to burn. And the gold work uh, on the top of the temple melted down into the cracks between the stone walls of the temple. And to retrieve the gold, the Roman commander ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone. Now get it. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. They took the stones apart, and they took the stones apart to get the gold out of the crevices of the stones. The destruction was so complete that today people have a hard time learning exactly where the foundation of the temple was. Now, we do have the Western Wailing Wall, which you've heard about, and some of the people of our church have been there. Joanne and I have been there many times to the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Uh, that was the retaining wall uh, for, the, for the platform on which the temple was sitting. Well, this prophecy that Jesus made here was literal. It happened. Uh, and so we believe that the next prophecies will be fulfilled literally too. Uh, he talks, first of all, about the general world conditions. Deceivers have come and gone, verse number four. Let me give you a few examples today. One notable example uh, of a prophetic expectation was given by William Miller in 1846 and here in the United States. Uh, He he predicted through his interpretations, calculations and publications uh, that Jesus was gonna come back to earth in 1846. Well, it didn't happen and the whole movement disbanded Jehovah Witness founder Charles Taze Russell, you'll be happy to know he was from Pittsburgh. Uh, he made some predictions about the second coming of Christ. He said Christ is going to come in 1874, in 1878, in 1881, in 1910, and in 1914, and in 1918, and in 1925, and in 1975, and in 1984. After nine wrong dates, they finally gave up. In 1988, Edgar Wisenhunt, a NASA engineer, wrote a book, and I had one of them in my library, that said, 88 reasons why the rapture is going to occur in 1988. Well, it didn't didn't occur, so he wrote another book. He said it was going to happen in 1989 and 1993 and 1994. Those books didn't sell very well. And then re- recently, remember Reverend Harold Camping, remember he was a radio minister. He said Christ is gonna come back in 1994 and then he readjusted it to May 21st, 2011. Well, he died in December 15th, 2013. All these dates failed and they failed because Jesus said, no one knows the time of the return of Christ. Well, all of these uh, Pre-signs, I would say, are said to be the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. Uh, When when a a woman puts her hand on her stomach and looks at her husband and said, Honey, something's going on here. And uh, it's becoming more frequent and more painful. We all know what's around the corner. Now, it's interesting that Jesus used that analogy to talk about the coming of Christ. Because whenever you read the signs of the times, people say, oh, listen, they've always been like that. But Jesus said, whenever they get worse and intensify, now now follow me, whenever they get worse and intensify, that's when the end is near. In fact, that's exactly what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13. He said this, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived catastrophes will happen, lawlessness will abound, love will grow cold, the gospel will be preached. Uh, I think that was one of the most interesting things to me when I was reading the book of Revelation in Revelation 14, 6, and 7. You know what it says? Uh, It says that God is going to send an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, "Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of judgment has come." One of these days, the gospel is going to be preached around the world. Now, I know that we as, as the church talk about that all the time. Listen, go into all the world. Jesus said, and "Preach the gospel to who?" Every creature, right? That's our job. I know that we could go to Revelation and say, listen, the Lord's going to do it one day, and he's going to do a much better job than we are, and that's for sure. He's going to make sure everybody hears. But see, the responsibility of preaching the gospel today is our job. Because Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. So it's our job today. Well, that's the duty of the church. These signs there are a few signs that are implied rather than actually stated here in the scripture, one of which is this, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948. All of what we're talking about today could not happen unless the nation of Israel had not been regathered to their homeland in 1948. You see, they weren't a nation. Uh, and Their nation was disbanded in 70 A.D. They were spread all over the world, but now they are back in the land, and so therefore these signs can be fulfilled now. Uh, Zechariah says, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all people. He didn't say, I'll make New York a heavy stone. I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all people. People are under duress everywhere because of what's going on in Jerusalem. Every nation is somehow either against or for Jerusalem. And there are not many nations for Jerusalem. And he he says, listen, all who would heave it away, Jerusalem, will be surely cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered together against it. And you and I today are looking at the nations coming against Jerusalem. Another sign that is implied is the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, In verse number 15 here, it says the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, uh, will come and make himself known in the temple. This is prophesied in Daniel as well as in other places. Uh, The temple is going to be rebuilt one day in the future, but the, the good news is this. The plans are being made right now. And if you go home and look on your computer and type in, the Temple Institute, it will amaze you about how many articles have been made for the future coming temple to be built in Jerusalem. They are making all sorts of the implements that go into the temple right now as we speak to you this morning. And so these are signs, the establishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, the rebuilding, the planning for the future temple. And then we come to verse number 15, Uh, which refers to the Antichrist. This is the pivotal sign. The abomination of desolation will mark the beginning of the time of unspeakable, satanic violence and human anguish. And Jesus said here, whenever the abomination of desolation is is set up in the temple, uh, he wants the nation of Israel to run away because it's going to be a most dangerous time for them. You know, just think about in, in our brief history of the nation of Israel, how six million were destroyed by Hitler and even many, many more than that by Russia. And now the Islamic states are trying to annihilate them again. Well, the abomination of desolation is even going to be worse than that because look at verse number 16. Then let those who are in the Judea flee to the mountains. Get out of town. This is a terrible time when the Antichrist will make himself known. This is exactly what Paul was telling the Thessalonian church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Look at this. This is referring to the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that it, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist right here. One of these days, the, in the rebuilt new temple in Jerusalem, the Antichrist is going to go into that temple and say, hey, listen, I'm the man. You worship me now. Now I'm God. Well, how do we relate to all of this? Uh, you know, we read these passages of Scripture, and... and uh, and, and we can say, we go down through the list and we say, oh yeah, this is, this is all fitting together. The Lord is setting the stage. We're not going to ever dare try to set a date, are we? Because no one knows that time. That's not in anybody's ability to know. Look at verse number 36. But of that day and hour knows not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No one knows that time. Look at verse number 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. Kind of foolish, all these people trying to set a date on the coming of the Lord. Only God the Father knows that. He says, listen, but I want you to watch. You and I need to watch for the coming of the Lord because if we believe the rapture is the next prophetic event on God's prophetic calendar, uh, we need to look up because our redemption is closer than it's ever been before. Look at verse 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. I think it's a good practice for us to get up every day and think, hey, maybe this is the day the Lord is going to come back. Maybe this is the day that I don't have to report for work. Maybe this is the day that uh, we don't have to gather together in church (laughs) and come to church again. Maybe this is the day the Lord is coming to take us off of this earth before the tribulation period begins. Be ready. That's what the Bible says. You know, times are getting worse. They'll continue the downward spiral. The general world conditions are obvious. This is just not our imagination. America, listen, I know you know this, is imploding right now, isn't it? It's imploding. We have spent so much time and effort in prayer, our founding fathers in, in coming to America, trying to establish a nation that will stand upon the principles of the Bible. And, uh, and now we are seeing the underpinnings of our great, our great country, being torn down right before our eyes. America is imploding. And I know that you just recently saw this last week. The mayor of the city of Houston has subpoenaed the sermons of the pastors in the city of Houston. Can you believe that? Because she found out that they were speaking against her policies on homosexuality and other things. And so she wants to subpoena their speeches and their conversations that they are having. I think that the mayor of the city of Houston really took on the wrong group because one pastor got up and said, bring it on. I've learned you can't mess with Texas. You know, they just can't do it. It's impossible. But in our country, isn't our country built upon freedom of speech? Isn't uh, Don't people in our country, people who are following the Lord, depend upon their pastor to call out evil when they see it? Thank God for the pastors in the city of Houston, Texas. Thank God for them. Well, that's our job. And so, these things are happening so fast, it's hard for us to assimilate. Jesus is coming back one day for his church. That's the rapture. And just think about it. When the church is gone, what's going to happen? Unbridled evil will spread across the earth. This unbridled evil is, is, is going to be something cataclysmic. You know, today when somebody attacks, as the mayor of the city of Houston, Texas is right now, attacking free speech in the pulpit, Uh, the church stands up and says, hey, listen, you can't do that. We have this First Amendment, freedom of speech in this country, don't you remember? Uh, And and even if we didn't have free speech in this country, we have a higher law than your law, and it's the law of God. And we're going to speak up for the law of God. Well, uh, just think, when that influence is gone, and there's no one to stand up and speak up, and there's nobody that really cares and this world plunges into its own pit of disaster it's there's gonna be an unprecedented time of God's judgment upon this earth Jesus said here I want you to watch I think we should watch our relationship with God I want you to be ready the son of man is coming what does that mean that means are you ready today in this church are you ready if the trumpet were to sound Would you go to be with Jesus when the trumpet sounds? Uh, Would your family go to be with Jesus when the trumpet sounds? Prepare your family to be ready. Uh, You know, through the centuries, believers have left congregations like this and they have run to their families and they've said, now listen, you have to be ready because the Lord is coming back again. And only a saved person is ready. An unsaved person is not ready for the coming of Christ. Well, uh, there's a new movie out right now, and it's called Left Behind. Some of our people have seen it. Uh, And uh, they've critiqued it, and uh, whatever their critique is, I don't care. I'm just happy that Hollywood is at least telling some people that one day Jesus is coming back again, and some people are going to be left behind. And so we have to wake up as a church Because we could be closer to the coming of the Lord than ever before. I heard about a man who was staying up late at night reading while his wife was already gone upstairs to bed. He heard the grandfather clock, how many of you people remember them, began to chime in the hallway, and he started to count the chimes to see what time it was, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, thirteen o'clock. Upon hearing that 13th chime, he ran upstairs, bolted in to wake his wife up and said, Honey, wake up. It's later than it's ever been before. That's the message of the Bible. Church, wake up. It's later than it's ever been before. Let's all wake up. We have the greatest message. We have hope for the world. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. And what a joy it is uh, to go to bed at night and walk through your house and say, listen, it's okay, we're ready. In fact, uh, we're kind of looking forward to it. It would be a whole lot easier to go to heaven via the upper taker than the undertaker, right? I made that statement at a funeral one time. The undertaker almost had a heart attack when he heard that. He'd never heard that before. Well, let's, uh, let's realize, hey, listen, these, this, this is real. Christ is coming. And next week, uh, we're going to have a message on the details of the rapture. What are the details, all the intricacies of what happens when the trumpet sounds? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And if the trumpet were to sound today, you'd be left behind. You surely would, according to the Bible. Because only the church, the bride of Christ, uh, will be taken up to meet the Lord. And uh, what a what a tragic thing to be separated uh, from the church, from your Christian friends, and to uh, be living here in the tribulation period. Well, let me say to you that if, you've, if you're not saved, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can be saved this morning, right there in the solemnity of your seat, the quietness of your heart. You can reach out to Christ and invite him into your life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Change my life. I turn away from those to you And I embrace you as my personal Savior. I thank you for dying upon the cross for my sins. And now I'm trusting you and you alone, not the church, but you and you alone to be my Savior. I want to live for you, Lord. Come into my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Christ will come into your heart. All you have to do is invite him. He's right there. Dear Lord, we thank you for the message of the Bible. It stimulates our thinking. Uh, It helps us to uh, be expectant for your coming. And Lord, I just pray that in our church, every single person will be ready for that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song today. And as we sing, you can come and pray if you'd like.